Welcome to the CRR podcast. My name is David Foster. I'm joined today by Rob Faircloth and Bill Lucan. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about Contractors Materials Company and their sister companies that have grown up over the past uh, 100 years plus now. Contractors Materials Company, when was it established? What was its point? Well, um, I kind of found this out somewhat by default, but my grandfather started it in uh, 1907, and he originally was a salesperson for a granite mining company, and he decided he wanted to be on his own and start as a sales agent selling granite curb and gutter and also the paving bricks that uh, you'll find beneath maybe several inches of either concrete or blacktop in downtown Cincinnati. So that's how he really got his start. It was in the paving industry, and it moved from there into general contract work and on you know, through the years. But that's how it got its start, back in 1907. So I'm thinking 1907 paving, you're... You're not really building roads at that point for automobiles. It's it's. You know, I don't know, Dave. Uh, it's uh, you know, it's kind of funny. There was a point in time where I really didn't care about the history, and when I did care about it, you know, most of my dad and his siblings, you know, had passed. So you know, somewhat of some of the stuff has been lost in you know in time, but I was told that that's how he got his start. Yeah. Um, you know, automobiles really didn't come on the scene until the middle teens or whatever. But I would imagine that, um, you know, some of the roads and everything were just uh, in downtown Cincinnati or any city. They were interested in cutting down on some of the dirt and dust and everything, you know, even if it was horse-drawn carriages. Yeah. So, but yeah, that's that's basically how it got started. And... Um, you know, I can I can say, too, that, you know, during the Great Recession, I don't know where I heard this from, but I heard that uh, my grandfather, he, he got into the rag business, literally rags. And like everybody back in the Great uh, Depression, I mean, anybody did anything, you know. Mm-hmm. And he had four kids to feed at home. Uh, the, the business diversified. Uh, you know, through the years. But that was pretty much out of necessity just to feed the family. Yeah, it seems uh, diversification and innovation has been a big part of this company all the way through. So, um, Yeah, I, I'm real proud that uh, we have diversified. I mean, we're just not a steel company. We're just not a, a building supplier. Um, you know, we, we do a lot of different things. And you know, I think uh, I kind of started that. Uh, Rob has picked up from there and uh, carried it even to the next, you know, level. Yeah, that's great. So kind of going back a little bit, when your father took over the company, when was that? When uh, my, yeah, down? my father, my, my uncle, who is uh, the youngest of the four siblings, after he came back from World War II, he joined his father in the business. And then my grandfather asked my dad uh, to come in. I think it was probably around 1948 when my grandfather retired. Uh, my grandfather died in 1950. Dad took it over, and he had an office in downtown Cincinnati in the old Central Trust building. And we had a warehouse out in the Evendale area. So they were split. But it was really, it was only the two people. And I don't really think that my grandfather had any employees of any kind, you know, uh, you know, through his tenure with uh, the uh, running of the company. Sure. Okay. So still pretty small at this point, moving up into the 50s and 60s. And I guess uh, that kind of leads way into when you start getting involved. Well, I kind of joked that I would never work for my father again after I left after my senior year in college. And uh, my wife always thought we would come back, but I really never thought we would. My dad had gotten a little bit ill, and the doctor advised him that he should retire. 
And he and his brother called me when we were living in New Jersey and asked if I would come back. And I said, you know, I would think about it and maybe I would come out and visit with them and talk to them about it. And that was back in uh, 1976. Uh, we decided we would come back, uh, but it took me about a year to sell my home in New Jersey at the time. I was working for American Honda. We came back in December of 77 and basically took the business over in the first quarter of 78. All right. So what uh, what did the business look like at that point? Was it still just a few employees or was it uh, larger? Well, <laughs> the, the number of employees usually included my brother and me. My brother's four and a half years younger than me. Uh, one of my mother's brothers as a part-time truck driver. And really that was it other than an, an accounting person to help my dad with the books. But other than that, it never was more than really between my dad, my uncle, and one full-time employee, and then a couple of part-time employees, and that was generally either myself or my brother. Sure. And what was uh, keeping the lights on at that point? What was what were you guys selling? Well, the <laughs> the old man prided himself in the fact that having grown up through the Depression, that uh, if we ever had another one, he could put a lock on the door. And he could walk away from the place because he never owed a soul a dime after Friday. But I think it was, you know, I, I think, you know, I learned a lot from my father. I learned a great work ethic. Um, and he was never short on work himself or his brother. And they had a, a small number of customers that they always really treated right. And, and I think that's been the hallmark of our company all the way through is customer service and, you know, do unto others as you want to be done unto. Mm -hmm. And if you look at our Ten Commandments, uh, delivery is agreed. Um, I think we've always maintained that. Uh, we've never cheated anybody and we've always been up front and it was always customer service based, even as small as they were back then. Mm -hmm. No, I... It's definitely something that I've learned in my time here. You know, I when I tell people who I work for, uh, go it's, Dave. It's you work with us, with you. Nobody. Okay. You work for a company, but you work with a bunch of people. I like hearing that. I can appreciate that. So when I tell them I work for, most of the time it's a lot easier just to explain. You know, we manufacture rebar, if they even know what that is. So <laughs> I guess the big question is when did rebar come into the picture at contractors materials well the interesting thing is is my dad always sold dow bars um, primarily for curb and gutter work in subdivision development and when i came back uh, we were buying those those dow bars pre-cut and all of a sudden our supplier vanished and it was pretty much Armco Steel, to be honest. And so I had to decide where was I going to buy these Dow bars. Well, anybody that I try to access them from, the price was extremely more expensive than what we were paying. So I got the idea, I hate to say it, but from a competitor who had a, a very small shear, and he was cutting his own three-quarter inch Dow bars. He was a good friend of mine then. He's still a good friend of mine today. I said, well, if they can do that, we can. So we bought our very first small shear. It was an eight-inch blade shear, and it would cut up two-inch and a quarter material. And so I found out that I needed contour blades. So we started cutting our own dowel bars out of 20-foot stock. And, you know, the dowel bar thing then led to, well, what you really ought to get into is rebar. My dad had some rebar, but it was only 20 footers and he probably never had more than five ton of threes, fours and fives in total in stock. Mm -hmm. And we never really had a truck that could carry him. We had a 14 or 17 foot truck, 20 foot rebars and you know, wasn't really the, the, the best yeah. logistical. So, you know, I kicked around, kicked around and you know, by and by, uh, I started buying first from Ambassador 
so that we could get, I think my first truckload of rebar was threes through eights. And when I sold out of fives, I thought, oh no, what the hell am I going to do now? So it gradually, you know, and we didn't have estimating. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have detailers or anything like that. It was just strictly, you want so many pieces of number four bar this long or whatever, yeah, we'll cut it. Yep. And it was all mechanical. There was no automation involved whatsoever. Uh, it involved a tape measure, pulling a 20-foot bar across 4x4 four four dunnage, sitting on top of 55-gallon drums. <laughs> so, I mean, we started everything we've done, we've done the hard way first before we got into any kind of automation. Sure. Yeah. And there's something to be said for that, though. You know, you, you start... With rebar, you said there's no detailing or estimating or anything like that. Was there any project or any push from a customer that made you move into that direction that we're kind of in today? Well, by this time, I had hired Dan King as a salesperson for us. Dan was a very intelligent guy. He knew a lot about construction. He knew how to do construction. And I think the first job we had was a Bob Summerall tire job. And Dan took it upon himself. He was going to detail it. We estimated it, detailed it. And we went out and we bought uh, postal uh, tags that we used Sharpie pens to write the dimension of the bar and everything on it that you would find typically on a rebar tag today. Well, we delivered it all out to the job and it snowed. And all of the print ran on the bar tags. So we had to go out and re-tag every damn bar. <laughs> and that's how we got our start. And I, I forget who the engineer was, but he told Dan King if it was the last thing he ever did, he was gonna teach King how to detail properly. Because I think Dan could have detailed 20 tons on the back of a match uh, box or whatever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so that's how we got our start. Once again, doing it the hard way first before we got into anything that was professional. Yep. Before the technology comes around. Uh, exactly. All right. So uh, I know that Contractors Materials then had this trajectory. And then MMI of Kentucky also comes up next. Uh, well, the funny thing about that is... Um, there was a lot of people who said the only reason why contractors' materials existed for my father is because his dad had it, and he inherited it. And I didn't want to go down in history, to be perfectly honest with you, is the only reason why we had contractors' materials is my old man gave it to me. So I was bound to determine to start something on my own. And I looked around. I didn't want it to be too far from Cincinnati. And I looked around, and... I thought Lexington was just a prime location. It was growing because of Toyota's growth into Georgetown. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of competition in the city. And I just thought the general uh, Lexington area was going to grow substantially. I didn't want to go to Louisville. Louisville had a lot of competition. They didn't need somebody else over there. But I just thought that... Uh, Lexington was prime. We originally, we started the company before we had a building down there, and we actually sent, you know, one of our salespeople down there to, you know, check out if we could find, you know, a northerner moving into Lexington if, if they would accept us. And we made a decision. We bought some property, and we moved into the building we're currently in uh, back in 1989. But it took a long time for me to make any headway down there. Um, it wasn't, I hate to say this, but it wasn't until we had all Kentucky boys running the operation that it really turned around. I don't think that really had a whole lot to do with it, but it sure helped. Yeah, I'm sure it did. Some better connections, at least to the customer base in the area. Exactly, Dave. Now, the MMI, so MMI is what, 30 five-ish years old yeah now. yeah it's unbelievable and jack pierce who runs our operations uh he was the original in one of the four one of the two original employees that went down there to start it 
the other was Ron Long, who uh, left us some time ago. And then we hired two people, a driver and somebody in, in administration to do, you know, help with the book work. But we started with four people. It's pretty impressive. So is it just meant to be a a smaller copy of contractors materials at the time? It, it actually was, and really to a certain degree still is. And they inherited a lot of our bit, a lot of our older equipment. They got our eight inch shear. <laughs> they started doing 20 footers the same way we did. But I forget what the original square footage of the original building was, but before we even closed on it after construction, we started an expansion of 14,000 square feet where we had uh, dual overhead cranes because we knew we were going to get into the rebar fabrication business in Lexington. And uh, there was uh, only one supplier in town of fabricated rebar. And as the bank told me, he was a bad credit risk and always would be. And we were able to take advantage of that move at the right time. Yeah, no, that sounds great. So then moving back to contractors' materials, were you guys still operating in the Evendale location, or was it? Well, we <laughs> every building I was in, I thought I'd retire from. Uh, you know, we, we started when I first came back in 2,000 square feet in Arlington Heights, and we had been in that same facility area anyway. We, were in, we switched different buildings, but we were there since 1953, and... Uh, I decided we needed our own building, and this is before MMI. Uh, we moved still in Arlington Heights, but it was on the old landfill facility. And I bought that from, uh, from Arlington Heights in a sealed bid uh, that I bid against Meyer Dairy. That's a long story in itself. But we eventually, we put up a 6,000 square foot building in Arlington Heights that we owned. That was the first building we had ever owned. And from there, uh, we went to Woodlawn in another central location in the Mill, Mill Creek Valley area. And that was a 40,000 square foot building that we put, I think it was about another 20,000 square foot addition onto the back of it before we moved into our current location in Evendale. And I think we moved into um, we moved into the Woodlawn facility. I think in 1987, if I'm not mistaken. You're growing out of buildings. Do you yeah, it. Uh, you know, every time I had to make the decision, do we want to stay where we are? Do we want to grow the business? And and there's no doubt that. Uh, well, when I did the Woodlawn business, I was my own general contractor, and I got the hell out of that business before. As, as quickly as I got into it. But then when we built a place in, um, in Evendale, a lot of people thought we had gone way over our heads. But you look at it now, and, and Rob has expanded the territory that we've got. Uh, we couldn't have done anything of what we're doing today without the building that we did in Evendale. Yeah, and I think uh, it's impressive to say the least that that building in Evendale almost seems small now. <laughs> yeah, it does. In fact, uh, I had dinner last night with a gentleman who built that building for us, and I told him about our building here in Walton, and I said, it's only a couple thousand square feet smaller, at least in the warehouse area. He says, you're kidding me. I said, no, and we're filling that up too. Yeah, it's, uh, it's getting tighter and tighter by the day, it seems like. <laughs> It's very reminiscent of the Evendale facility. Yeah, I don't even want to mention MMI. That that's a whole different oh, yeah. filled up. We've but. actually looked at property, you know, down in Lexington, and Lexington commercial property is hard to find. I hate to say it, but general Lexington area and the county that it's in, Fayette County, um, what they like is high tech, and they like agriculture or UK. And beyond that, it's difficult to find really good industrial property that's centrally located in the greater, greater, greater Lexington area. Yeah, I can understand that. You drive around where MMI is and there, there's no land available. No, no. There's nothing available. No. There's plenty of land for horses, but none for manufacturing. That's right. 
So then kind of moving forward a few years, um, Rob, I'll bring you into this conversation. What, uh, how did you stumble into this business? So my background, I was in the car business. I owned a, I owned a small part of a Kia dealership in Charleston, South Carolina. Um, I, I started that um, about June of 2003. And then we purchased the Kia dealership in Savannah, Georgia, uh, about March, April of 2004. I was just a small owner in both of those. I, I, I did that with a, a very well-established Ford dealer who owned multiple dealerships. And in about 2008, Bill had, had called my wife, who is Bill's daughter, Megan, and had explained to her that he had planned on selling the company. He had not found anybody to, uh, to purchase it. Um, he had interviewed some people, but unfortunately none of them he thought were the character that he would want to take over the business. So in about 2008, he had called us and said, if, if you would come back, um, I, you know, eventually I would turn the businesses over to you. Interesting. So I think that actually says a lot right there is that you weren't just looking to uh, flip the business for a quick buck. You wanted it to continue. You wanted your legacy, Bill, to, uh, to continue on and not just forget about what you had built uh, when you came back in the 70s. What was kind of going through your mind? Obviously, you were probably trying to look just to retire at this point, but you know, you had opened MMI. You had uh, contractors' materials had grown to the point where you know you were in this new newish Evendale facility still at this point, um, and you decided to call your daughter and say, "Hey, uh, you guys want to come back?" Well, when I first approached them, they came and talked with the people, and they said, "No, they weren't interested." Well, okay, that's their prerogative. And to be perfectly honest with you, I think uh, with the job Rob did with the dealerships and everything, when they later decided to maybe look at it closer and then made the decision to come, uh, I think it was probably, it was, it was a good career development for him in dealing with the dealerships and dealing with employees. I, I talked to Megan once again, and I said, look, I said, you know, I'm not getting any younger. I, I'd like for you to maybe rethink this. You know, I had showed them all the, you know, financials. And, you know, they had a good idea, I think, of where we were going and what we were doing. I think, uh, and this is 2009, and they called me back, you know, sometime in like August or September and said, we've decided to come. And in October 2009, there they were. <laughs> but I, I, I'd like to think, you know, okay, how do you bring somebody in from the automotive industry? You know, and I saw what Rob had done in, with the car business. He had been very successful. Um, Megan was also in the automotive industry, too. Yeah, she worked for Porsche and she worked for Ford. Uh, Rob and Megan first met each other when working for Ford in Pennsylvania, basically. And um, so, yeah, that, that runs in the family, you know, with my American Honda business. But um, when they came back, uh, I had told all the managers at both contractors and MMI that Rob was going to job shadow each and every one of them for a minimum of four to six weeks. And they had to come up with some kind of a um, syllabus that how they were going to attack this. So when Rob came up, I gave him a three ring binder that was about three inches thick mm -hmm. yep. from every one of the managers. And that was what he was going to do. And it was his uh, decision and I respected him for it. And it was the correct one. He first wanted to work in the shop at contractors and then he went down to Lexington and worked in a shop down at MMI. And that way it gave, you know, some of the, you know, the worker bees, uh, the backbone of our company to, you know, find out who this new guy is. Sure. So then he worked his way through, you know, all the different sales managers and the detailing managers and, you know, everybody. So that by the time 
they took the company over in 2012. He had a solid background in what we were doing, where we were going, and I think everybody felt very comfortable with the uh, change in management. That's great. So, Rob, what was your uh, first impression of those first few months then? You know, my, my first impression, you know, coming from the car business, and I don't want to I don't want to put down the car business, but the level of team member that we had in our two companies versus the level of team member I had back in, in at the dealerships, it, it was much higher here. You know, everyone was genuine. I could trust everything that they were telling me. And those days of working in the shop, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that. Yeah. My, my favorite job there was tying cages. I'd still be tying cages if Bill hadn't said, hey, you know, Rob, you're good at this, but it's time to, to move on to other things. I can know, I know from experience tying cages isn't easy work either, so that's, uh, <laughs> that's pretty interesting to hear. Well, how big were the businesses at that point when you came on? Do you know if there was an, an employee count? That I, I, I want to say roughly that, that CMC had about 35 team members and MMI had about 22 to 24 team members. Okay, so they were a little bit closer in size than I expected, to be honest. That you, could, you could park in the parking lot at CMC. That's, today Today you can't. Yeah, that's a fair point. <laughs> MMI was still pretty tight. They've only got a couple dozen spots down there. but It's unbelievable, and, you know, both of us, or I think all three of us at some point in time, I don't think we're running a second shift here at CRR right now. But uh, we're still running a second shift at MMI, and here it is November, and we're running a second shift at uh, Contractors, too. Yeah. Which is, um, you know, I never would have believed that when we moved into that building, you know, a long time ago. It's impressive, to say the least. I came on board, it's crazy to think about, but I actually started at Contractors Materials 10 years ago. Wow, does time fly. I know, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, it's... It, it's grown quite a bit since even I've been here, almost exponentially, it seems like. So kind of touching on that, what was, Rob, your first plans once you took over? Now that you had seen the business, you'd worked with some of the managers, what was your, uh, I guess, first steps to really either continue or grow the business? You know, I'm not sure I, I had a plan. Things just started to happen. And when they happened, David, I, I knew that I had to react and you know one of those things was back in in 2014 all, all of a sudden we were doing this stainless steel rebar mm -hmm. and bill had come to me and he said hey you're going to need a building and let me tell you i looked at every old used building <laughs> in the cincinnati area because yeah. the last thing i wanted to do was put a shovel in the ground and have to build a building absolutely i said, I said no way and Bill had kept telling me, he said, you need to find some land down by North American Stainless, our supplier of stainless steel. Mm -hmm. And one day, one of Bill's old bankers, Lytle Thomas, called and said, hey, there's some property in Walton. I think you need to come down here and look at it. And, and Bill wasn't, he was out of town. And so I came down here and I remember opening up an old rickety gate and walking on this property. And as I looked around, I said, this will probably be it. And I figured, this, this is going to bankrupt me. Yeah. And so we started, um, call it June of 2014, uh, we started, you know, building this facility. And we moved in March of 2015. And, and this is a dedicated stainless facility because, as, as we all know, you don't want to fabricate stainless steel rebar where you fabricate carbon steel rebar yep because you'll have a contamination issue but i just you know i've always followed you know what what the business is doing yeah so when a salesman comes to you and says hey i, I have to quote this really weird thing there might be something to it you're like let's go absolutely absolutely and we i've got welding machines i've got girder machines to make girder yeah and that was a salesman coming in saying, I think we can sell this. Well, if you think we can sell it, let's let's go. Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole nother podcast we need to touch on with <laughs> wire products that have just kind of sprung up out of nowhere. It seems like uh, every time I walk through the shop, Brian or uh, one of the other guys out there is telling me, oh, we're making room for a new machine that's coming in. Rob bought something. 
or Stevens out there, you know, plugging away, uh, cleaning something that you just had brought in. So it's uh, it's always impressive to see the growth that's coming with all of this. You know, Dave, a lot of that new products or innovation has come from the customer themselves. Yeah. You know, when a customer asks you to do something that you don't have the capability of doing right then and there, but you're a damn fool if you don't look into it, and he's a good customer and he's willing to pay you for it, and it would be an advantage to him using our customer service and our, you know, our abilities. It's hard to say no. Yeah, then that's something that I've uh, taken to heart in my time here is that our customers are very open and willing to ask us to try something that we don't have a background in. And most of the time we'll tell them, yeah, we'll give it a try. And if we see something... We run with it. I've always tried to tell the salespeople, you know, if you make a call, don't ever leave the call without asking, is there anything that we don't do that you would like to see us do? Yep. And, and that way you're drawing them into the picture too, and it makes them feel more like they're a part of what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, you know, just using Girder as an example, that that came from a Christmas lunch and I, I remember the day we were over in Indianapolis. I, I think we were sitting at the tilted kilt, I'm embarrassed to say. And the, the customer said, you know, the, the other suppliers of this are not very good. Or they're out, you know, 8 to 12 weeks. I'd love it if you would make this for us. And it was one of our, one of our very good customers. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I said, you know what, I'm, I'm willing to take a chance. And that's where our first girder machine came from. I got another note here uh, about Robert's Machine Products um, because that is the fourth company that kind of makes up our family of companies. Where did that come from? Uh, It's not named after you, Rob. Yeah, I want to clarify. I did not name a company after myself. I I don't need my name in lights. Yeah. So um, just to back up a little bit, Robert's Machine Products, that was established in 1960. Um, by, uh, by a man, and his last name was Roberts. And at one point, Dayton Superior owned that company and um, made all of Dayton's products that they make, you know, couplers, um, all kind of connection devices. And then a, a man bought it from Dayton Superior, Bob Hughes, and Bob Hughes owned it from 2010 until 2018. And say about 2014, we had approached Bob about making our own stainless steel coupler. We make mm-hmm. our own stainless steel couplers out of, out of our rebar so that the chemistries match and there's no chance of galvanic corrosion. And Bob started making our couplers for us, and that product line has really done well for us. And in 2018, he approached me because his wife was terminally ill, and he was either going to sell it to me or he was going to shut it down. You know, I know nothing about machining. I still know very little about machining. But Bill and I decided we'd go up and just take a look at it. And the reason that we ended up purchasing Roberts was the people, the team members. Yep. You know, after meeting the team members, we really felt like, wow, there's some good people here. Let's see what we can do for them. So um, we, ne- we negotiated, and um, you know, today we own Robert's Machine Products, and it, is, it has been a great addition to what we do. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree. They, they add a whole new dynamic to the abilities of the company as a whole, just the machining and the, even the customer base that it opens up. So we've kind of touched on all four companies a little bit, and I'll let either of you guys answer this. You, you kind of mentioned that the customers drive the success and our customer service that plays into that. Is there anything else that you two have noticed in your time with these companies, running these companies, that has really set us apart from any sort of competitor? Well, you know, our diversity, you know, definitely sets us apart. But I'd like to think the employees of the company uh, sets us apart. You know, one of one of the gentlemen up at Contractors Materials, I don't know how many turkeys he's been given or lunches he's... You know, Gerald's been with us forever. Next year will be Gerald's 25 years, and he gets his Rolex next year. 
<laughs> you know, and it just does my heart good that the customers have recognized him because he's in customer service, helps with their orders when they come to pick them up, helps load the trucks and everything. And, you know, generally, uh, you know, somebody like that doesn't get recognized. But I think that's the way all of our people are, and we try to impress upon everybody. A salesman isn't the only person who makes an impression on a customer. Each and every one of us do. Yeah. Truck drivers, if there's an interaction between a guy and a shop, I mean, uh, you can influence customer service and the customer, you know, as far as his loyalty to us. I'd like to think, too, that our compensation program for everybody uh, is different from everybody else. Uh, I think we try to convince everybody we're here for this for the same purpose, take care of the customer and improve the bottom line. And as you know, Dave, I mean, uh, we give bonuses out when we're making money. There's a formula that I started a long, long, long time ago, and it treats everybody the same. There isn't a salesperson who's on an individual commission. We're all on the same program. We're all working together for the same end. And I'd like to think that that's had some benefits you know, to how we operate uh, and work together. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, and I learned a lot of this really from working for the Japanese. They always took care of their people. Uh, they always have very strong benefits. I think our medical has always been good. I think, um, you know, our retirement benefits are very good. And, I, and I'm proud to say that Rob has carried on with everything that I had started many, many, many years ago. And, you know, there's a lot of people who have, have benefited from it. And, you know, as uh, our financial advisor says, you know, you want to be able to retire with dignity. And I think we provide that, uh, that ability to every person who works with us. And I'm very, very proud of that. I wish more and more people would, you know, take full advantage of it uh, because a lot of the young guys, they just don't realize what it means to them or will mean to them. I can agree that there's a definitely a different, um, different motivations, I guess. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, it's tough. It really is today. Yeah. You know, talking about some of that, Rob, I actually remember when uh, this was probably right when we had opened CRR. Um, you actually had a financial literacy kind of class for everybody down here and really all the companies as a whole to kind of let them know here's, here's what to do with your money. Here's, you actually cared about everybody enough to really try to explain to them the benefits not only of the comp that the company was offering but how to take full advantage of them. And I hopefully think a lot of people got a lot out of that. Yeah, you know, it's been a, it's been a couple of years since I looked at it, but um, you know, I don't mind sharing this. But I think it was two or three years ago I looked, and five percent of the people that were enrolled in our four hundred one k were millionaires. Yeah, you know, like Bill mentioned on a monthly basis, and it's according to a formula, and we'll we share our financials quarterly with our team members, but um, you know, on a monthly basis we give bonuses back to the team members. Yeah. On a yearly basis, we group all the companies together and we'll take up to 8% of your W-2 wage and we will put that in the 401k as a year-end bonus. And that's in addition to another 3% that we do with Safe Harbor. Yeah. And it's, it is so important that, that people take advantage of the benefits. And if you have a child and they seek higher education, whether that be vocational school, technical school, or college, we'll pay up to $8,000 a year for your dependent to seek higher education Yeah. after 12th grade. It's crazy that uh, those kind of benefits are offered at a company of this size. You would think that something like that would be reserved for a much larger company with some more, uh, I'll call it assets, that they can throw around. No, I've always felt blessed to be able to work here. I will say that. Uh, you guys have always taken care of me. And... I think everybody who has been with the company long enough to understand the benefits and respect the benefits knows that you're not going to find that in too many places out it's there. kind of interesting. When Dan King was about to retire, he went to 
uh, a financial analyst for both he and Sandy, and Sandy had worked as a manager at Procter & Gamble for a number of years. And uh, he said to Dan, he says, now we're used to seeing this kind of numbers from people from Procter & Gamble, but where did you say you worked at? <laughs> Pretty incredible, actually, yeah. So I'll, I'll pivot a little bit back towards our products and our product innovation. You know, Bill, I'll, I'll start with you. What Was there any product or products that you recall really changed our business? Well, I think um, tying cages was huge. And I'll never forget, in Arlington Heights, we tied our first cage job. And they collapsed on the truck. And I said, we're never going to do another damn cage job ever. And here we are now doing them, you know, it consumes probably 15% of our labor force today. Yep. So that has been, you know, really good. Uh, but, you know, uh, we tried to do welded spirals. That didn't work. You know, but you got you to gotta try different things. Mm -hmm. And then I think the other thing that I'm really proud of is our dependence on rebar and coil for fabrication. You know, our stainless shop here does just about everything out of coil to include a number 11 bar that we can straighten. And that's, as far as I know today, it's still the only one in the world. And we all know the advantage of doing stuff with rebar and coil. And we're expanding, Rob is expanding, our use of black bar in coil up in Cincinnati. Uh, at one time, anything above a number five bar carried such a uh, a high um, premium. Yeah, premium that it wasn't smart to use it. Well, now that premium has just been about been wiped off because most all the mills today recognize coil as the way to go. And I hate to say it, we probably are the biggest coil user in this country from our small operations. Yeah, and we were the ones that you know, started all that. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm, I'm real proud of that too, uh, for what we've done. And in fact, being able to straighten rebar in coil is what's got us started in stainless. Our competitor in stainless couldn't straighten it. And they asked us to do it. And the mill didn't want to do it. And that is what led us into getting into stainless and what we have here today. And nobody in this country has what we have. Yep. No, I will uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. And just the reduction of scrap that comes with coil is is something that I'm surprised nobody's recognized in years ago. Um, well, and especially when you're dealing with stainless steel, yeah, every inch is valuable. Absolutely. And yeah, I know that in carbon, scrap is pennies, but at the end of the day, that those pennies add up when you're talking tons and tons of scrap going out the door. We chase pennies. Yeah. We hope to turn them into dollars. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so then the same question I'll pose to you, Rob. What uh, In your time here, what, what has there been any product or products that have really kind of changed the way the company operates in your eyes? You know, it's just, it's just chasing what we were already doing. Yeah. You know, we knew that we couldn't fabricate stainless in Cincinnati, so we built the facility in Walton, Kentucky. Um, the machine shop came along, and that, is, that has added a lot of different things. You know, they make couplers for us. They, they've made terminate. They've made a lot of different things that a D, different DOTs, California, New York, Canada, wanted, and we made them and got them approved, and... You know, it's just, it's neat to, to, to be able to come up with those ideas and know that we have the people on board to help do it and the ability to do a lot of these things. Absolutely. And, you know, I got a list of products here. I, we don't need to go through all of them, but one thing that I did want to highlight and that I think is unique and I thought unique when I came on was actually the fact that we have just a general store at MMI at CMC that sells products in a customer facing way. It's it, someone could just walk in the door and, and purchase whatever, you know, accessory they may need uh, from just a, a 
general store, basically. Well, you know, we're doing a lot of our bar supports now. You know, we're obviously doing, you know, our mechanical couplers. And Rob said, we couldn't find anybody to do it. Mm -hmm. Or we're so far behind, especially through the pandemic. You know, you can't tell a I can't get my, I can't get the bar supports. That's, he doesn't want to hear that. So we've always stepped up where we thought we could service the customer better by doing it ourselves, and we had control over those products. Yep. And, you know, Rob's followed that up, and he's done all that. And, you know, he mentioned the, the girders uh, doing that. A lot of it is somewhat common sense, but it takes some gonads to pursue some of this well, stuff. Some of these are uh, quite the capital investment. Yes. Uh, you, you know, if I, if I looked back, David, and I could talk to that myself, you know, eight years ago, I would say, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah. But so far, it has all worked out. Mm -hmm. But it's, it, it's fun for me to go find a machine that can do this and then implement it. Yep. That, that is something I really enjoy. Yeah, it's uh, pretty incredible what some of our uh, machine manufacturers can do and have willing, are willing to do with you because they know the mindset that, they, that you have. It seems like uh, from time to time we're not we're not just buying a machine off the shelf. We we sometimes get some tailor made machinery, and for better or worse, we're we're the guinea pigs for the manufacturer to try to work out some of the kinks. And yeah, they like challenges too. Yeah, you know, like with our stainless machines that can run an eleven out of coil, and you said it's the only one in the world. I don't know if they would want to make another one of those. Um, <laughs> That uh, that's one of those machines where the manufacturer probably kicked themselves for even trying to make something like that. But at the end of the day, it works, and it's uh, pretty impressive what it can do. Yeah, you don't know how long I searched to find somebody that could do it. Yeah, you know. Um, but yeah, like Rob said, I mean that's that's part of the fun sometimes of you know running an organization uh, that's known for innovative you know products and services and all kinds of stuff and just to keep it going yeah you know to always keep it fresh you know i think one of the things when i started the business i always wanted to make things make a change or something every year so the people didn't think they were working in a stale company i don't mm -hmm. care if we bought another fork truck or rented a fork truck or anything just to make it look different Yep. And as you know, I think uh, surely our CRR building here, which is a tilt building, and our building in Cincinnati, Contractors, which is a tilt building, are beautiful buildings. And it's a place that you can come as an employee of the organization to bring your wife or your girlfriend or, or your kids and say, this is where Dan works. You know, and that's what we try to instill with everybody you know, a position of self-worth within the organization that they're proud of what they, you know, where they work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to keep it moving forward, I think you know we purchased eight acres next to us in Cincinnati, um, eight acres of flat land that right now we're using to store things on, but eventually, you know, my plan would be to build a building right next yeah. door to contractors. Yeah, talk about prime real estate that came available. Um, I know that when I started at Contractors, that was, uh, well, I mean, it was a, it was a, just a trailer lot for uh, a trucking company. And it to become available uh, just a few years later is pretty incredible. That And the interesting thing about that property and how we got it is because of our commitment to the local community of Evendale. Evendale wanted us to have it. Yeah. And that's why we got it. Yeah. Not because we outbid anybody, but because... This, the village of Evendale wanted us to have it. And that says a lot for uh, our imprint on the community. And it kind of segues into the last thing that I really wanted to touch on, which has to do with how we got contractors' materials on the map in the nation. You know, Bill, I know you had a large part to do with that. We don't pound our chest very much. And we've always, I always believed in you know, um, you know, not to walk around with a big, you know, stick, you know, 
we got involved with CRSI. It took me a, a time to get involved with CRSI. And I got to know a lot of people. And they were very helpful. In fact, I can remember I, I took plans for our building in uh, even or in Walton uh, for guys to look at to give me their advice. And so, you know, I think... I think that helped get us out in the general market because we're well known across the country now. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder for what, but um, but we are well known. And Rob has continued with CRSI as a lot of our member, a lot of our employees have continued with CRSI to keep us in in that loop. But I think really, I mean, we never advertise. And I, I just think it's word of mouth. And, yeah. uh, you, you know, if, if, we can, if we can work with a customer once, it probably won't be the last time we'll work with them unless they don't pay their bills. Yeah. Uh, but you always have to look for new business somewhere, whether it's a new customer or a new product, mm -hmm. you know, to keep things moving, keep the target moving. So I, I think that's the way we do it, Dave. We don't advertise. We're not big into advertising or any tooting our horn or anything like that. Uh, let our actions speak louder than words. Yep. And that small company from Cincinnati gets really big really quick once uh, once you start talking to people really yeah. across the country. Yeah. It is pretty incredible just some of the customers that were new when I was new, and they're some of our best customers now, it seems like. You know, and one back. thing we haven't mentioned, and I think it's um, a real strong point of ours, we have a very, 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 very strong relationship with all of our vendors. Yep. They all want to do business with us. They all enjoy doing business with us. Mm -hmm. um, we pay our bills, but we're also fun, I think, to do business with. Yeah, no, I mean... Uh... When you're dealing with new products and new product lines, uh, you're presenting a challenge to vendors that is not just the same phone call they're getting day in and day out, which can be exciting. Exactly. Um, so what's the uh, what's kind of the future looking like? Is there any big plans? You mentioned the eight acres we bought and potentially a building there. Um, is there any specific plans for that building? Is it just going to be a, an extension of contractors? Is it... Well, you you know, I I think as we move forward here, I think it, you know, we're starting to to fill the building up as Bill referred to in Cincinnati, and you know we we're doing more and more in wire products, and I think that eventually we're going to need a building where all we do is wire products. Currently, we don't draw our own wire. Um, someday that might need to change, um, but you know more and more wire products. And we may not be limited to wire products in the construction industry. Yeah. There may be other industries that we want to look at for those wire products. Absolutely. Diversity. Yeah. Any, anything we weld, I get very excited about. Because, you know, welding, we are adding value to a product. Absolutely. And I love welding. And, you know, if we, if we build the building for wire products too, Dave, it gives CRR a little more room too. It gives CMC and CRR a little more. Yes. Room. It's incredible how much um, of a footprint the wire products have taken over in both of these buildings. Yeah, not, not that we don't appreciate what everybody does down here for contractors, and it's basically one company when, when you really look at it like yeah. we do. But, um, yeah, you're tight here, too. And as you know, we were looking to expand this building, mm -hmm. and it still has the possibility but the, the best use right now of the land, besides putting a bunch of trucks on it and, and inventory, is probably some kind of a building to do the wire products, you know, to help us with our congestion problem at contractors and also the congestion problem that we're building down here. So, yeah, the future with all four companies kind of seems to be just... I don't want to say taking it step by step, but really listening to what our customers want, listening to what our vendors can do, and seeing what value we can provide at the end of the day. Um, you know, we, we want to, you want to build the building next door, 
for wire products potentially. That might change if a new product line comes around. Absolutely. Um, you're not ever locked into a single mindset, and that dynamic thought process has really it, it shows through the long history of this company. Um, you know, Bill, you said you st- when you started, there was only a handful of people working for the company. And yeah, it was basically when I came back, it was my dad and my uncle, period. Yep. No other employees. And they were in a one-room office, uh, but at the same address, they had a concrete block, oh, I would say maybe 4,000 square foot. You know, and all they basically did was a little bit of chemicals, a little bit of poly, uh, dowel bars, hook bolts, wire mesh and rolls, not sheets, and expansion joint. And that was basically it. And, you know, Dad just, he would come down and look at our statements as we started to grow. And um, he'd go home and he'd tell my mother, oh, he's not doing much more than we're doing. He's just doing it with some different people. Well, he didn't really see some of it. But, yeah, I think, you know, as far as going forward, you know, the best attribute of a good salesperson is to be able to listen or for any of us. So, you know, I just think going forward, Rob says, I mean, just listen. You know, and we participate in a lot of uh, trade shows now, and we get ideas from that. And, you know, keep your eyes open and keep your ears open. Yeah. And, you know, then it requires some evaluation as to how much money you may want to spend or what, you know, the space requirement would be, and you have to make some intelligent decisions. Absolutely. And, you know, but once again, it gets down to, uh, for the people working with the organization to see the company grow, not become stagnant. And boy, has it grown. Because, I, like I said, when I started with Contractors Materials, um, I don't know what the, you can just look at the employee growth from the handful that, when you came into the fold bill and then to the maybe call it a hundred total between both companies when you came on Rob or was it even that high you said about 30 and 25 yeah about 55 between both companies and I last I checked I think today we're around 135 that's incredible so and that's what 15 years roughly October was 14 years for me it's incredible how much we've grown yeah it is you know, as I said, every building, when I built the first building in Arlington Heights, I said, okay, I'll retire here. Then we went to Woodlawn. Okay, I'll retire here. Then we built a place in Lexington. What the hell did I do now? You know, I guess I'll retire with that building. And I basically have. And then then we built the place in Evendale. And people just thought we were nuts. And, you know, as I said earlier uh, in the podcast, we couldn't have done what we're doing today had I not built Evendale. Absolutely not. I mean, it may seem tight these days, but every single machine in there has a purpose. Yeah. And it's, yep. it's serving its purpose or served its purpose. From the old machines to the new, it's uh, pretty incredible. I mean, they still, uh, you know, they've done a lot to make it worth the, the while there. And that gets that gets down to, too, we've got good people to maintain the equipment. And, you know, we try to train our people, as you know. You know, if, if a machine breaks down, that's going to affect a possible bonus at the end of the month. So we need to do preventative maintenance on all the equipment. And, you know, we buy new equipment because of speed, efficiency, productivity, but also employee safety. Absolutely. And and ashamed to admit it, but one of the first machines in the building in Evendale, um, it's been there since December of 97, and at the end of this year, we will retire that machine and replace it with a new, faster, safer machine coming from Italy. Isn't that impressive? And, you know, unfortunately, that machine, you know, I don't want to sell it to a competitor, so that machine will be fully retired in the scrap bin. Yep. <laughs> 25 years old. I mean, that's uh, 
it's probably pretty wild to sit down if you really want to think about everything that that thing has done. So that thing is, has put some steel through it. Absolutely. All right. Well, um, you know, that kind of wraps up all of my questions and comments. Do you guys have anything else you'd like to add? I know um, we've been talking here for a little over an hour. You know, the only thing I can say is, uh, as you know, Dave, I'm still around. I enjoy the industry. I enjoy the business. I'm obviously not in touch with every daily operation. I enjoy the people. I have a lot of friends that are employees of the organization that have worked shoulder to shoulder with me for a number of years. I have a lot of friends who are good customers that I enjoy hearing about. And it's just been, it's been a pleasurable experience for me. I mean, it, it hasn't been all, you know, fun every day. I mean, there's been challenges, but you know, I'm a firm believer that uh, to die with a smile on your face, you have to have built self-confidence in yourself. And, and uh, I, I feel really good about what we've done and what Rob's done with the business and where we stand today. It's impressive where, like I, I've said it multiple times throughout this podcast, but it's impressive to know where it started and how it's going today. Not many companies have anywhere close to the same story. You know, and I just feel lucky every day to, 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 to be able to work with the team members I get to work with, to work with the vendors, suppliers. Every day I look forward to. We appreciate it, and thank you for listening. <laughs>